0: Welcome back to Military Murder. I am your host, Margot, and in this true crime podcast, I cover twisted true crime stories about service members or veterans that will make your jaw drop. Up to this point, all of the cases I have covered have been pretty open and shut. But today's case is a little different. Join me today as I tell you a story similar to the Mara Murray story. But this case is about a military officer who went missing in 2006 and to this day has not been found. She seemingly, poof, just vanished, leaving behind her 16-month-old baby girl. I'm gonna be honest with you, and this may sound a little bit ignorant. I didn't realize that there were missing persons cases in the military that were unsolved. Unless, you know, someone was like missing in action. The military, it's one of those jobs where if you're five minutes late, someone is wondering where you are. Did Airman Snuffy oversleep or did Private Snuffy forget to tell her supervisor about a medical appointment? Needless to say, someone is going to be looking for you and they won't just call to see where you are. They're going to show up at your house and knock and keep knocking until they figure out where you are. I discovered a website called MissingVeterans.com and this is where I learned about missing Air Force Lieutenant Nani Dodson. But of course, missing persons stories aren't always what they seem. So I dug deeper and I found a crazy story involving various suspects that could have caused Nani to disappear. Today, I will discuss the disappearance of Air Force Lieutenant Nani Dotson. Now, let's dig in. Before I start my story today, I want to start with my sources. I already mentioned MissingVeterans.com. I also used CharlieProject.org, CBS4 Denver, Colorado Bureau of Investigation Cold Case Files, Denver Post, Nancy Grace and CNN, Westward, and a podcast called Naptime Nancy True Crime. And you know, if Nancy Grace is involved, this is going to be a heck of a case. Our story begins with Nani Dotson. So, Nani had a twin brother named Bew, as well as an older brother named Tony, and she came from a military family. Sadly, her father committed suicide when she was only one year old, leaving her mother, Candace Doyle, to raise three young children on her own. Nani's mother joined the Air Force to make ends meet, and after the military, she settled on Colorado as their permanent stomping ground. It is not surprising that after college, Nani decided to follow in her mother's footsteps, And she also joined the Air Force in 2004 as an intensive care nurse. Nani's mother told the Denver Post that she was proud of her daughter. Nani not only survived childhood cancer, but she was eager to serve her country, and she did so proudly. By 2006, a 33-year-old Nani was working at the Wilford Hall Medical Center at Lackland Air Force Base in Texas. For unknown reasons, Nani was scheduled to separate from the Air Force in March of 2007 which is earlier than is typical for most officer commitments. As a single mother, Nani had a lot of preparation to do before she separated from the Air Force. But one thing was for sure. She wanted to return to her beautiful state of Colorado to be near her family. She even went as far as hiring a real estate agent to start looking for houses. A week before Thanksgiving in 2006, approximately four and a half months before leaving the Air Force, Nani took a Colorado vacation. She left with her 16-month-old daughter. Now, I want to give some background about Nani and her daughter. Nani was previously married but got a divorce and had no kids with her ex-husband. After the divorce, Nani was into the dating scene in San Antonio, Texas. And in 2005, while taking country dance lessons in San Antonio, she met a man. His name was Edward Veal. He was 20 years her senior, but they hit it off and they began dating. Age was nothing but a number. Nani soon found herself pregnant. But her boyfriend, who was already in his 50s, he didn't want to accept that the baby was his. So he fought her tooth and nail to get an abortion. But Nani refused. When the baby was born, he fought for a paternity test. And a month before Nani left on her vacation, there was this Mori moment. Edward, you are the father. But of course, with paternity comes child support, and he was ordered to pay $10,000 of back child support in addition to paying $900 a month. After this entire baby daddy ordeal, off she went to visit her brother in Littleton, Colorado, with her toddler in tow. Her vacation was scheduled to be from November 16th through November 22nd. The first few days seemed to go by smoothly, On the night before she went missing, she went out with some friends to a bar called the Grizzly Rose, and it is unclear what happened at the bar. But from what I gathered, she was out and two men approached her and wanted to dance and even commented that they wanted to take her out to breakfast. And she told them no, but they seemed to be pushier than most men. But she was eventually able to shake them and she got home around two o'clock in the morning. She was staying with her brother, Tony Dotson, her sister-in-law, Amy, and their two young sons. The following morning was Sunday, November 19th, 2006. Early that afternoon, according to reports, Nani told her brother, Tony Dotson, that she was leaving to run a few errands and she would be back later. Tony didn't think anything of it. Nani's daughter and Tony's youngest son were both sleeping, so it kind of seemed like the perfect time to run an errand. Tony was down in the basement with his five-year-old son playing video games. Hours later, by dinner time, Nani isn't back yet, and Tony and the kids went to his brother-in-law's house to watch a football game. Tony's wife, Amy, met him at her brother's house and really didn't think it odd that Nani wasn't there. She thought, you know, maybe she was taking advantage of having someone to watch her daughter while she's here in Colorado. Now, I want to pause right here. When I first researched and wrote this episode, I always wondered about Amy. Where was Amy? What did she see? And to my surprise, a podcast called Naptime Nancy True Crime also ran this story and Nancy interviewed Amy Dotson. So uh, I was so excited. On that show, Amy discusses that on the day Nani went missing, Tony was going to keep with tradition. So Amy and her husband had this tradition that on Sundays, Tony would bring the boys to the hospital where she worked for lunch. But on this particular day, Tony called her and said he wasn't going to make it because he and Nani had plans to either hang out or take the kids to the zoo. And Amy thought that this was really sweet. Like, oh, that's that's pretty cool that my husband is going to spend time with his sister and his niece. But for whatever reason, when she found out that Nani had instead chosen to leave to hang out with her friends and run errands, Amy said she didn't give it a second thought. In fact, till this day, she still doesn't think anything of it. By the time the family got back home that evening, Nani wasn't home and there was no indication that she had returned and then left. So they all just went about their night routine and they went to sleep. No one was really concerned about Nani. The next morning, Amy hears Nani's daughter crying and she's surprised to find that Nani is still not home. Amy was slightly panicked, and by late afternoon, everyone was sufficiently concerned, so they filed a missing persons report and began calling hospitals to see if Nani had been in some sort of accident or something. No one had heard or seen from Nani since she said goodbye to her brother on Sunday afternoon. The police opened the missing persons case, and they took various steps to find Nani. So True Crime Army, I want to take this time to talk about the timeline. They interviewed the last person to see her alive, her brother, Tony. And Tony couldn't really add more details than those I've already disclosed above. The night before Nani went missing, Nani took Tony's car to go to the bar. But on the day she went missing, he wasn't sure how she intended to go run her errand. Everyone assumed that she either walked or she got a ride. But she definitely didn't take Tony's car because it was still parked at the house. And also, she left her coat at the house. And this is kind of strange because it's the end of November in Colorado, so it's probably chilly. It is unclear if the investigators searched Tony's house, but Tony did provide the police with a piece of clothing belonging to Nani, and the police brought in a search dog. The search dog tracks Nani's scent to C-470, a country road which was between Tony's house and the shopping center, which is about a mile away. And that's where she said she was going to be. Oddly enough, this was the last ping her phone gave off as well. But a search of that area revealed nothing. It literally appeared as Nani's scent just vanished. It kind of reminds you of like that Maura Murray story, you know? The investigators found that Nani was on some dating websites. And one in particular called singleparentsmeet.com She had logged into that three times before her disappearance. She logged in once when she got home from dancing, a second time in the morning when she woke up and then again around 1 p.m. So the investigators are kind of excited. Okay, let's pull the records and see exactly what she was doing on that website. Maybe she was going to meet someone. You know, we can ask that person if she ever showed up or see if that person hurt her or something. So they pull up records and they realize that all she did was check her messages. But when they look through the messages, she didn't have any plans to meet with anyone that she knew. A search of Nani's cell phone records showed that she called a good girlfriend at 1030 in the morning, but after no answer, she didn't leave a message. The last phone call that Nani made was to a different friend, one who she had planned on staying with for the rest of her stay in Colorado. So Nani had spent the first half of her vacation with her brother and she was intending to leave and spend time with her friend. Well, Nani called that friend at 1115 in the morning. And when her friend didn't answer, she left the message basically saying, hey, give me a call. That friend tried to call later around 1 p.m., although the time is a little bit unclear, but the friend never receives an answer. Hi everyone, for anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle, but I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret, and of course, my secret is 4am workouts, but I get the oomph to wake up at 4am and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru, Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy, and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which, listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code Mama Margo at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your cart and use my code Mama Margo. that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T, for 15% off. Enjoy, and when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. Another theory the police had was that, you know, maybe Nani was just sick and tired of her life and she just wanted to start something new far away from everyone. You know, her military career was coming to an end and she was stuck raising a kid on her own. It seemed plausible, but Nani's mother didn't believe that Nani would just up and vanish, leaving behind her daughter. But the police were not so sure. In fact, a few months before Nani's disappearance, There was a Marine Lance Corporal named Lance Herring, who actually faked his own death in Eldorado Canyon State Park in Colorado. Now, this is a bit of a tangent here, but when I went down the Lance Herring rabbit hole while doing my research, I was hooked. I'm going to tell you the story. It's going to be really quick and you can probably just fast forward if you want. But this is really interesting. This young man named Lance Herring, he had a few run ins with the law, including one burglary charge where he was given probation. He also had a disease called Graves' disease, and it's a pretty bad autoimmune disease that messes with your thyroid, and and that's my quick Google search that I did. And this disease could be deadly if left untreated, but this young man was able to overcome all the physical ailments of Graves' disease, but not the actual underlying, you know, illness. And after all of this, he joined the Marines. But of course, he failed to inform the Marine Corps that he was, one, still on probation, and two, that he had Graves' disease. And these two things, I mean, they pretty much could have disqualified him from the Marines. But he joined in 2005, and by January of 2006, he was already in Iraq. When he returned from Iraq, he decided he would not be returning to his unit. But instead of going absent without leave, AWOL, he asked a friend to help him fake his own death. And that's what they did. They came up with an elaborate story that they were hiking when Lance fell down and bumped his head. When the search and rescue team came out, they couldn't find the body and they were very confused, like, what's going on? Well, they believed maybe the guy was suffering from some sort of concussion. But because he was a Marine, he went into like this flight mode and wandered into the woods. The search for Lance lasted various days. And by the end of it, the search efforts cost $33,000. But Lance's friend finally admitted that this was a hoax and Lance was not dead. After Lance is seen boarding a bus, murder was ruled out because the investigators are thinking, OK, this friend probably did something to Lance. But then Lance is spotted somewhere. He isn't caught yet, but he spotted. And then they realize that, yeah, this is a hoax. Lance is eventually busted a year after the hoax in Washington state. But this entire sham disappearance occurred in Boulder, Colorado, which was only 40 minutes away from Littleton, where Nani disappeared. And this case was fresh in the minds of police when Lieutenant Nani Dotson went missing. But Nani's case seemed different than the Marine who faked his own death. In 2007, almost a year after Nani's disappearance, her case went from the missing persons department to homicide. The homicide investigator, Kate Batten, she found it odd that in the first year that Nani was missing, none of her money was touched, credit cards hadn't been used, there was no cell phone activity, there had been zero sightings of Nani. Clearly, something happened to Nani. But what? As of a 2007 news article I found, Nani is considered missing and is not considered AWOL for military purposes. It appears that family and friends have even gone so far as to reach out to six different psychics or, quote, intuitive investigators and, quote, but surprise, surprise, they have all given conflicting information. So that has led nowhere. On top of this, the family is contacted every time an unidentified female is found. Tony told the Denver Post, quote, You're wondering if it's going to be closure. If she's dead, we can put her remains to rest and have closure and not wonder if some freak neighbor has her in the basement." End quote. Within a year of Nani's disappearance, the family was offering $25,000 to anyone with information that could lead them to Nani. So I wanna take some time to talk about the suspects in the case. Suspect number one, Edward, her baby daddy. Of course, her baby daddy was a suspect He stated he didn't even know that he was a suspect until he read about it in the newspaper. And what he saw in the newspaper shocked him. Nani's family, basically, as soon as she goes missing, they're blasting him, saying that he has something to do with her disappearance. Well, interestingly enough, Edward was scheduled to meet the investigators, but he missed his first appointment. But eventually, he did meet with detectives And he provided them with receipts to show his whereabouts that day, as well as allowing them to see his phone records, which showed that he never left the state of Texas. Throughout the first year that Nani was missing, Edward and Nani's parents were engaged in a head-to-head custody battle for Nani's daughter. Originally, the grandparents were granted temporary custody after it was revealed that Nani had sent Edward a baby birth announcement. So basically, a baby birth announcement is when somebody has a baby and then they after the baby's born, they go to a a photographer or they don't have to go to a photographer. It can be anyone. They take these beautiful pictures of the baby and then they go to like CVS or Walgreens or whatever. And they make these announcements that say, you know, Jane Smith was born on January 1st, 2020, and she weighed five pounds. So basically just announcing the baby's birth. And so Nani was really excited and she made these. She sends a birth announcement to Edward. When he receives it, he rips it up, scribbles, it's a bastard on it, and then he mails it back to Nani. But despite Edward's ridiculous reaction to the baby announcement, he is eventually granted full custody of the baby in January of 2008. And after providing an alibi, I mean, I assume that he was cleared as a suspect, But I'm not 100% sure. I I don't really think he was ever a suspect. Suspect number two, who could it be? Tony Dotson, of course, the last person who saw her. So he's a suspect on this podcast, but he has never been named a suspect in this case. You know, that's so crazy to me. Nancy Grace covered this case briefly, and she cracks me up. Nancy's like, where was the brother? And of course, all the information we have is that he was downstairs playing video games with his five-year-old kid while the other two kids were upstairs napping. There was something strange that I wanted to mention. A year after Nani went missing, Tony was putting up signs with a reward to anyone who could lead them to Nani. But most missing persons poster, they have a picture of the missing person, right? But not this poster. This poster had a picture of Nani's daughter with the words, quote, help me find my mommy on it, end quote. This isn't really a helpful missing persons poster. Was he trying to hide something? I also saw a video of an interview that Amy and Tony had done for a news broadcast. And they're sitting at the kitchen table and Tony is in the video while his wife, Amy, at the time, she's crying, talking about Nani's disappearance. And he really didn't say anything. In fact, he didn't say anything in that particular clip. It's a really short clip. And he gives off this bad vibe. And I'm going to post this video on my website because I want you all to take a look. And I think it's creepy. He has like these dead eyes and it just looks Crazy to me, and now I mean, in in my book, everybody's a suspect. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just overreacting, but I want you guys to go and check it out, okay? Something else that I found that was kind of weird was I. There's this picture that keeps coming up again and again in certain newscasts, and the picture is of of one of Tony's son's room. But in the picture, one of Tony's sons, I believe it's the older son, he's in the middle of the floor playing. And Tony is seen kind of like lurking by the door, like by this like kind of little hallway, like a little wall and by the door holding the younger kid. And he just gives off this really creepy vibe. And so I know it's, it's really hard for me to describe. But like I said, I'm going to put this picture and that clip or a link to the clip so you guys can can look at it on my website. But just I, I, let me know what you guys think. So. Even though Tony was the last person to see her, it appears that him and various family members at some point, they remained viable, possible persons of interest. Although I have not been able to find the names of the other family members who were ever deemed persons of interest. And this story, you know, it really should end here because Nani has never been found and she practically vanished. But wait until you hear this next part. Tony may be more involved in his sister's disappearance than we actually think, or not. I'll let you be the judge. In 2013, Tony is convicted of a 2012 rape and burglary in Denver, Colorado. So what he does is he breaks into his acquaintance house with the house key that she kept hidden. He makes it look like a burglary, he rapes her at night point and then he leaves. He quickly rises to the top of the suspect list in that case because there is no sign of a forced entry and when the victim attempts to summon her dog for help, the dog refuses to help. Now, earlier the night of the rape, Tony had been out with his new fiance because him and Amy divorced soon after Nani's disappearance and they're out with the victim and a few other friends and the victim i found somewhere where it said that she had a boyfriend but her boyfriend was away that particular night and she had told everyone well some of those friends who were interviewed after her rape told police hey y'all need to talk to tony because he was making really weird comments about the victim all night sure enough dna evidence confirms that tony was a perpetrator And it also confirms the reason why there was no sign of entry because he knew where she had kept the spare key. And in fact, Tony had volunteered to watch the victim's dog in the past. And this explains why the dog refused to help his owner. And that's so sad. In addition to committing the heinous act, Tony recorded the 19 minute assault and then uploaded the recording to his personal computer. Now, I want to stop here. I think this case calls for a new true crime army rule. What do you guys think? These rules are really, you know, common sense. But sometimes when we're among friends, we think that we can say things, that we can share things. And, you know, especially when we have a friend who already has a significant other. I mean, we don't really think anything of it. But this is one of those stories that points to the fact that we can't trust everybody. I should have made this a true crime army rule back during the Canadian Air Force pilot episode, but here goes. Drum roll, please. Ladies and gentlemen, and yes, this applies to gentlemen, too. If you have a significant other or a roommate and they're away for the night or the weekend or the month, don't advertise that information. It makes you vulnerable. You see, many of these perpetrators, they're opportunists. If your door is unlocked, they're going to waltz right in. If they know you live alone, you'll be at the top of their hit list. In fact, after I heard about the crazy Canadian pilot case, which is episode two, where he was going into houses looking for items of a man, and he was then, you know, only going to houses where women are by themselves or were by themselves. Once I heard about that case, I no longer get mad that my husband just like, leaves his clothes everywhere around the house because I'm like, okay, cool. If someone ever burglarizes my house, they won't attack me or they won't come back for me because they know that a man lives here. I mean, I know that just seems crazy, but that's what all these cases are pointing toward. In 2013, while Tony was in jail awaiting his sentence hearing, he has a friend wire him roughly $6,000 into his prisoner account. And so I'm wondering, why does a prisoner need $6,000 in jail? And so Tony uses this money to try to buy friends in jail. And can I add, is this suspicious? Is this not suspicious? Do prisons allow mass amounts of money to be wired into inmate accounts? I mean, come on, Colorado, get your act together. And so Tony was trying to get in good with the gangs by buying them items from the prison shop. When I heard about this, it reminded me of that A&E show called 60 Days In. Has anyone watched that show? Well, the show takes volunteers who agree to go into jail for 60 days, not to act as snitches, but basically for entertainment purposes. And if you haven't seen this show, you have to see it. It is so good and very bingeable. Anyway, Tony was trying to buy friends in jail. But in the process of making friends, he was trying to find someone who would kill the rape victim isn't that insane Tony wasn't asking people to do this for free either he was offering big bucks specifically he was offering $20,000 in cash a Mercedes Benz and a $14,000 ring as payment that's a lot I mean that's a lot for, for putting out a hit when, I'm going to talk about some other cases where people put out hits for like I don't know five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 but this is a lot especially if, I mean he's offering people who are in jail you know It appears that he eventually finds someone who agrees to do the deed. But thankfully, the plan is thwarted when the police find out. And of course, he was charged with solicitation of first-degree murder. Before anything bad could happen, the victim is informed of the plan and she was moved to a safe location. Eventually, the victim is also moved into the witness protection program. So... This poor woman has to basically, you know, sleep with one eye open for the rest of her life. I mean, because this is terrifying. So Tony was sentenced to 96 years in prison for the rape and an additional 48 years for the solicitations charge to be served back to back. So if you think the story can't get crazier, as I was reading article upon article about this case, just trying to see what else I could provide for you guys. I came across the fact that Tony had a female business partner that was murdered and found in the trunk of her car back in 2009. The kicker, Tony was the beneficiary of her $300,000 life insurance. I searched high and low and I could never find the name of his business partner, nor if that crime was solved. So my assumption is that it is still a cold case. It's nuts. And this explains why he had all that money that he, he was offering, you know, as a hefty prize for his murder for hire plot. And then let's not forget that three years before his business partner is mysteriously murdered, there was the mysterious disappearance of his sister and Tony was the last one to see her. Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game. And I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in the detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. Back in 2011, during that Nancy Grace piece that I mentioned earlier, Nancy hones in on the fact that the investigators admitted that no one had ever been offered a polygraph in Nani's disappearance and it had already been over four years. The investigator said, you know, hey, I didn't want to, quote, shut down communications between the family, end quote. But come on, I kind of get, you know, in the beginning of an investigation, you want to keep communication lines open. But you know, at this point, it's been four, four and a half years. I mean, this is a cold case. So what gives? I know we all say, you know, never take a polygraph test, but even offering a polygraph test can open up so many different avenues. You know, people might get scared. They might start acting weird. I mean, they might say things, they may ask questions. I mean, they could potentially get information, but they haven't even offered them, you know? And so that's it. That is where the case remains until today. Nani has never been found. Her daughter is now like 13 or 14 years old and she's living with her father and Nani's brother will, you know, hopefully be behind bars for the rest of his life. And so the trail remains ice cold. In 2011, the reward for any information leading to Nani was increased by her parents to $100,000. And I'm not sure if this reward is still available, but I did want to put that information out there. I covered this case to keep Nani's story alive. It is the 13-year anniversary of Nani's disappearance. Let's not forget our missing veterans. And let's get justice for both Nani and her daughter, who now has to live wondering what happened to her mom, you know? Nani would be 46 years old today, and she's 5'3 and weighs roughly 115 pounds. And she has a large scar on her left knee and a large scar on her right shoulder that extends under her armpit. If you have any information about Nani, her disappearance, or anything that could shed light on the case, call the Jefferson County Sheriff's Office tip line at 303-271-5612. This case was so bizarre. I think it's so important to discuss missing persons cases because it's amazing how many unsolved cases are finally getting solved 5, 10 or even 30 years later. So hopefully one day we will be able to find Nani. Thanks for listening. Please be sure to give the show a five star rating. And don't forget to leave a review and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to tell everyone you know to listen. Please follow on Instagram at Military Murder Podcast and also follow on Twitter at Military Murder. And if you want to reach out personally, please email me at MilitaryMurderPodcast at gmail.com. This is a one-woman show, guys, created and produced by me, Margot, and all of the music was created by Tyops. To find a list of all of the sources I pieced together to bring you this story, I encourage you to go to my website, www.MilitaryMurderPodcast.com to check out the links. Additionally, if you want to suggest a case, you can do that on the website. The only caveat is that there should be some military connection. But if you know of any other missing persons cases, submit the name online. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next week. Let's work another podcast.